Good morning, good morning, good morning, and welcome to Walking with Jesus Through the Word, one chapter per day. I'm Pastor Jason Van Bemmel from Forest Hill Presbyterian Church. We are here on day number 149 in Romans 9 on May 29th. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love for us, for your word. Thank you for the beautiful book of Romans, powerful, full of truth that sometimes challenges us and comforts us or causes us to examine ourselves again or question our assumptions about life. Use your word to transform our minds that we might think your thoughts after you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Romans chapter 9 in the ESV. Here we go. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. They are the Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said, about this time next year I will return and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children, by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told the older shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it depends, not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then, he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction 
in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles, as indeed he says in Hosea, those who were not my people I will call my people, and her who was not beloved I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. And Isaiah predicted it. If the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have become, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. What shall we say then? The Gentiles, who did not pursue righteousness, have attained it. That is, a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as it were based on works. As if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. That's Romans chapter 9 in the English Standard Version. This is one of the most challenging chapters of Scripture for challenging our natural human pride, our sense that we're in control of our lives, that we're in the driver's seat, that that we do things according to our own will, that we determine our own destiny, this great American idea that we are the lords of our own destiny, the captain of our own ship. And this chapter really confronts us with the sovereignty of God. Um, I want to take a minute and just take a look at the major themes that have been unfolding in the book of Romans until now. This chart is from the ESV Study Bible. So we've seen that all people are sinners. Therefore, without excuse, all people need to be saved from their sin. We've seen that the Mosaic Law, though it is good and holy, cannot counteract the power of sin. We've seen that through the righteousness of God, sin is judged and salvation is provided. We've seen that with the coming of Jesus Christ, the former age of redemptive history has passed away. The new age of redemptive history has begun. We've seen that the atoning death of Jesus Christ is central to God's plan of salvation. We've seen that justification is by faith alone that there is a certain hope of future glory for those who are in Christ Jesus, that those who have died with Christ and who enjoy the work of the Holy Spirit are enabled by the Holy Spirit to live a new life. And now we've come to the ninth major theme, and that is that God is sovereign in salvation, working all things according to his plan. And this will be the major theme of these of these three chapters as Paul is wrestling with this central question, and that is, why are the majority of Jewish people 
who were the chosen people of God, who were given the covenant promises, who were given the, the law of Moses, everything we've been studying in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, that's all given to the people of Israel, and but the vast majority of them have rejected Christ and have not come to share in the fulfillment of the promises that they were given. And short version of Paul's answer is that God is sovereign in salvation. He works all things according to his plan, that God fulfills his saving promises to both Jews and Gentiles by his sovereign will. And we will see in the application section, which will really begin in chapter 12, that the grace of the gospel calls Christians to personal holiness, mutual service, good citizenship, and wholehearted neighbor love in Christ. So these are the 11 major themes that we find in the book of Romans. So let's dig in a little bit and take a closer look here at Romans chapter 9. So Paul is distressed. Uh, he has great sorrow, unceasing anguish in his heart. So this is not an unfeeling, cold Paul who says, well, the Lord is sovereign in salvation. What are we going to do? No, Paul is grieved deeply for his brothers, according to the flesh, the Israelites, the Jewish people. He even says in verse 3, I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Paul says, if it would work, I would send myself to hell. That's what he's saying here. I would send myself to an eternal hell separated from God, cursed, if it would bring my Jewish brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh, to salvation. After all, they are the Israelites. To them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. These six wonderful gifts. And to them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. Jesus is son of David, son of Abraham. He's the heir of the covenant promises that were made to Abraham and, and David. And yet, the vast majority of Israelites, the vast majority of Jew, Jewish people, don't believe in him, have not received him. And Paul was a Pharisee. Paul was trained by the foremost rabbi of his day, Gamaliel, one of the most important rabbis in the history of rabbinic Judaism. So what is he going to do? Well, he says, don't think that the word of God has failed. The word of God has not failed. In fact, God is working everything out according to his word, his purposes, and his promises. Not all those who descend from Israel belong to Israel. Not all that are children of Abraham because they are his offspring, but it's the children of promise who are counted as offspring. This is a reminder to us today that, you know, the old saying is God has no grandchildren, right? Covenant children who are born into covenant households under the administration of the covenant of grace, which was Israel in the Old Testament, the church in the New Testament, the same people of God, which we'll see as we go through these chapters, those household children of the covenant are not saved, are not redeemed by being flesh and blood born into the covenant community and under the covenant administration. They must believe in the promises of God. 
They must. It's the children of promise. It's those who believe. And it really is those on whom God chooses to have mercy who end up believing. It's God's purpose of election that stands. As Rebecca was having twins, Jacob and Esau, Jacob and Esau are both children of Abraham, children of Isaac, and yet God says, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. God said before they were born, before they had done anything, the older will serve the younger. The younger, Jacob, became Israel, became the Israelites. Just as Ishmael and Isaac were both children of Abraham, but it wasn't the child of flesh, Ishmael, it was the child of promise, Isaac, who was given the heir Uh, the inheritance of the promise. Now you might say, well, that's not fair. That's our sort of modern American response. That's not fair. What did Esau do wrong? (laughs) What did Esau do wrong? He's not innocent. He sold his birthright for a bowl of red stew, red lentil stew. He, He wanted to kill his brother. He was a sinful man with a hardened heart. And that's where all of us would be. You see, as soon as we start thinking, that's not fair, we need to take a step back and calm down a minute. What if God gave us what was fair? Fair? We would all end up in hell. Fair? None of us would be forgiven and redeemed. The gospel is the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ that is gloriously unfair. Because I deserve eternal hell, condemnation, separation from God for my sin. That's what I've chosen. That's what my free will would determine for myself. But God has mercy on whom he will have mercy. And he has compassion on whom he will have compassion. So it depends not. Salvation depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. We're given not only the example of Jacob and Esau, but we're given the example of Pharaoh. For this very purpose, I've raised you up that I might show my power in you, that my name might be proclaimed on earth. God hardened Pharaoh's heart so that he could show his power over Pharaoh and his army. Now, was Pharaoh innocent? Should we say, well, what? why is God being unjust to Pharaoh? Pharaoh didn't do anything wrong. He didn't. Because God did harden Pharaoh's heart, but we're also told in Exodus that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. In other words, God gave Pharaoh over to the natural hardness of his heart. God, God removed his common grace. God removed his protection. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened. All God has to do to ensure that anyone's heart will be hardened is to remove his grace, his undeserved, undeserved favor and kindness removed, and our hearts become hard. That's our natural condition. He has mercy on whom he wills. He hardens whom he wills. He has mercy by by softening our hearts and changing our hearts, taking out the heart of stone that we have by nature and giving us a heart of flesh. He hardens whom he wills by, by giving us over to our own natural will. You will say to me then, why does he find fault for who can resist his will? Why would God judge anyone because he's the one who determines salvation? No. Yes, he's the one who determines salvation. But there is no unfairness in God. God is God. He is God. 
Sometimes I think we just don't really believe that. We really kind of think that we're gods, little g gods, that we're in charge, that we can command our own destiny. No, we can't. God is God. He's the molder of the clay. He is the, the preparer of the vessel. He's the caller of his people. And we should be thankful for that because we have received grace by the sovereign God who calls a people. I'm a Gentile, right? Scottish and Viking heritage, mostly in my family. People who were, you know, human sacrifice practicing, tree worshiping, demonic spirit fearing pagans living in the darkness of utter sin and rebellion when the promises of God were being given. That's what my people were doing up in the frozen north of Europe. But God had mercy. God had mercy on a people who were not a people, who were not his people, who were not Israelites, and said, I'm going to give you grace and you will be sons of the living God. You will be adopted as my children. And if God hadn't done that for us, we would be lost, as lost as can be. And it's not as if Israel doesn't deserve a judicial hardening from God. How many times did Israel turn aside from the living God to worship idols? How many times did Israel reject the law of God in its true nature as a law of love and embrace instead a form of legalistic self-righteousness? And it was the rejection of Jesus was not something that God forced upon the Jewish people and their leadership, but it was their leadership who said, get this man out of here. He's a threat to our power. And that would be all of us. So we shouldn't look down our noses at those people because that would be all of us if we were left to our own devices. We too would reject Christ. We too would be lost in the hardness of our sin. But God has mercy. God is gloriously unfair in that he chooses to change the hearts of rebellious sinners and give us eternal life in Christ. Everyone who ends up condemned has ended up condemned because they hate God, they reject God, and they love their sin. Those of us who inherit salvation inherit salvation because God has had mercy on us and has changed our hearts and has given us a love for him. And all that we should ever say is thank you, Praise God. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your mercy on us. Help us to trust in Christ and to share the good news with everyone because we don't know who you might call to salvation through your gospel. It is your good pleasure to save those whom you have decided to call to yourself. Help us to rejoice and rest in that truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, that was day number 149. Tomorrow, day 150, we are going back to Leviticus. We'll pick up with Leviticus chapter 7. Have a blessed day in the Lord.